0: Comics guys, explain The Suicide Squad, Part Two. Welcome back, everyone. This time we will uh, continue where we left off last time, going through the members of the Suicide Squad as it's going to be depicted in the upcoming movie. So last time we went over, didn't join us, or if it's just been a week, we went over uh, Harley Quinn, Rick Flag, Amanda Waller, Captain Boomerang, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, King Shark, and the Thinker. And so, who do you want to pick up with this time, Darren?
1: Well, everybody left. We've got some, we've got some pretty silly characters, you know, that, that we know are going to be in this. And uh, let's lead off with the character who is probably famously the silliest, who is Polka-Dot Man. Polka-Dot Man will be played by uh, David Desmalshian, who is a hilarious actor. Uh, you probably, uh, if nothing else, you know him from the Ant-Man movies. He is He's playing bad. a Batman villain called the Polka-Dot Man. His real name is Abner Krill. And he first ever appeared in uh, February 1962 in Detective Comics number 300. It was pretty much the only time he ever appeared as a serious character. <laughs> he, in fact, over the course of this one, does in fact successfully uh, capture Robin and, uh, you know, is is holding him when Batman kind of, you know, like breaks in to finish him off. And uh, Abner Krill is a inventor. Uh, who is particularly good at miniaturizing things his costume is covered with polka dots uh each of these dots can be removed from the from the costume and like just tossed somewhere and then they kind of like grow into the gadget that he needs at the time so in his first story we see him with a buzzsaw with a flare gun a uh, flying sphere that, like he can like get inside and fly around in, and most interestingly, a teleporter, which is you know seems kind of large for you know like such a ridiculous character, but nevertheless, uh, despite these uh, you know these various gadgets, Batman does in fact beat him up and save the day and rescue Robin. He becomes at that point. I mean, he's a serious character, as serious as anything in Batman in the early '60s is. Right? He's no more ridiculous. Than the other ridiculous characters that are showing up in Batman in 1962, but somehow, he kind of like caught the imagination of later writers, who took Batman a great deal more seriously, right? And he became kind of like the representative of goofy older Batman, right? He's like the the character, the villain somehow, even though he appeared very rarely. Uh, he's the character that like you associate with that particularly silly. Early days of the TV show version of the character. And so he has shown up over and over again, always to get the snot kicked out of him, or otherwise to kind of like represent a kind of Batman villain and a kind of Batman story that we don't tell anymore. Right? Like he always acts, he's always kind of like an ironic commentary or something by the writers. Um, in the first issue of GCPD of the Gotham City Police Department comic, issue number one, uh, Harvey Bullock beats Polka Dot Man so badly that Polka Dot Man sues the police department, and Harvey Bullock has to go to counseling as part of like the resolution of his lawsuit. <laughs> right. So like, not only we haven't even we, we don't even use Batman anymore as the guy. Like the Polka Dot Man is the guy who loses to the cops in Gotham City. Right, so he has become this kind of you know like ridiculous character. Grant Morrison uses him in the Final Crisis. He becomes part of Libra's army of loser supervillains who have done nothing but gotten their butts kicked by superheroes for forever. Uh, the villain Libra upgrades all of their equipment and makes them tremendously powerful uh as part of his you know like uh, the 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 religion of crime and everything and polka dot man is one of the guys who gets a super upgrade and actually you know uh challenges a couple of heroes for a while it, in the in the story um once again representing the kind of like ridiculous like weakling you know old-timey character it seems like to me an an ideal character for Deslamation to dest uh, dest Des- to play um he is still alive in the post-Flashpoint universe. We see him in several panels of New Year's Evil, uh, which was 2020, so he was still around as of that point. But he is still basically exists for the joke, not as a for-real character. Um, I would say the odds of uh, Polka-Dot Man surviving the movie are actually probably pretty high, if only because it will be funny that he... like. Lives while all of these much more serious characters die. I'm gonna say his odds of death are probably only about 25 percent because I think it will be funnier to have him be one of the survivors.
0: Yeah. Also, the the trailers seem to be pretty um pretty focused on the idea that he wants to die. Um, yeah. There's a couple of different which means they can't that. let him
1: right. Like if yeah. he's the he's the actual suicidal member of the Suicide Squad, then he's gonna stay alive all through the movie.
0: Yeah, he'll he'll make it through,
1: uh, you know, to the next three of them or something, right? <laughs> and be, and be shell shocked in every one of them. I yeah. hope they actually like give him something fun to do, right? Because the idea that like this guy could invent a teleport device, you know, so actually that's kind of a badass thing to do, right? You cool. know, like
0: good for you. So yeah, I'm gonna say he's got like ten ten percent chance he dies. Yeah, so I think he's I think he's probably living. All right, next up, who do you want to go to next?
1: Well, let's talk about the rat catcher. The uh, character in the movie, played by Daniela Melchior, and in the the, the write-ups and everything that we've seen on it, they are very specific in saying that she is Ratcatcher 2, which implies that there was a Ratcatcher number one in the DC universe at some point who is probably dead. There has only been one Ratcatcher in the comics, and he's a guy, so I'm assuming that this character is, (laughs) is going to be his daughter. The Ratcatcher in the comics is yet another insane Batman villain. Um, who was uh, an exterminator uh, working in Gotham City named Otis Flanagan. And uh, Otis Flanagan uh, first appears in December, uh, I'm sorry, in Detective number 585, which is April of 1988. He's a Norm bry character. And uh, Otis Flanagan killed the guy in a street fight before he became a supervillain, just because the guy was annoying him, and went to prison. And while he was in prison, he uh, became particularly expert. He had always been very good uh, at like understanding and dealing with rats. It was what made him such a good exterminator. And in prison, he kind of like practices up even more so to uh, kind of like you know breed and uh, learn to understand and control rats. And so when he gets out of prison, he kidnaps. The various city officials who are responsible for sending him to prison in the first place, like the district attorney and the and the judge and the you know all the other people who were involved in him going to jail in the first place, and he basically hides them all in a you know his secret kind of like underground hideaway and tortures them with his trained rats. Uh, and Batman has to spend a couple of issues just kind of you know like basically tracking the disappearance of these uh, various government officials before finding them and then defeating Ratcatcher. Rat shows up a couple more times in other, you know, mostly in other Batman comics, uh, and then he is killed in uh, Infinite Crisis number one by an OMAC. So in December uh, 2005, he gets killed. He then comes back post Flashpoint uh, in um, Batwing, uh, issue number 27, which is March of uh, 2014. He's pretty much the same guy. They don't go through like kind of the same story that was, you know, part of his origin. But he is still kind of this crazy guy with a gas mask, uh, you know, kind of like look to his his costume, and basically an army of drained rats that uh, you know he can send out to attack you. Uh, He's pretty ridiculous, uh, but you know, it's he he was more of a a mystery character than an actual fight the superheroes character. I have no uh, you know uh, idea what the what they're going to do with a you know with a daughter of that character um but I would say the odds of her surviving this are less than I'm going to say she is probably about a 60% chance to get killed. I think she, the odds of one one of her in Bloodsport are going to die and I think it's probably her. I'm on the opposite end of that. I'll probably right, you're, thinking, that. you're thinking you Bloodsport will and she won't
0: yeah it seems right. seems weird to like clearly make her rat catcher too, and like they're gonna go into some backstory or something. I don't know. I feel like they're trying to like I don't know I feel like I, is, I assume
1: go. when we meet her, she will tell the story of how Batman you know killed her dad or something
0: that makes sense. yeah and that
1: gives her that's what her motivation for doing, whatever it is that she's doing is
0: so. Batman as played by TBD
1: right. Uh, yeah, her dad right. um, yeah. Batman um, who doesn't even, who barely appears, right? Like it's, we see a, we see a whoosh of cape or something, right? Like there won't be an actual Batman appearance in the movie. I don't think.
0: Yeah. She's probably like the most mysterious character. Cause she's not actually a character. She's a, right. based on another character. Right. All right. So after that, how about savant?
1: Savant. As played by Michael Rooker, uh, who, you know, is one of James Gunn's go-to guys. What? He's appeared in pretty much every movie, you know, James Gunn's ever made, dating back to, you know, Squirm and everything else. So
0: We'll get two of the other ones of his, uh, you know, his act yeah. uh, a little bit later.
1: Absolutely. So Michael Rooker is playing savant, uh, whose real name is Brian Derlin, And his uh, first appearance is in Birds of Prey number 56 in August of 2003. He is a computer expert, uh, and who also goes out and kind of like trains himself because he really wants to be a vigilante, like the Bat Family in Gotham City, right? He is uh, he he is against crime in a particularly kind of you know violent way, more so than most of the uh, most of the Bat supporting characters, right? Uh, he he hates criminals and he thinks they should all be you know beaten very badly and thrown in jail and or killed. And so he goes out to try to become another Gotham City vigilante. He has some fairly severe mental problems, which are developed over the course of the stories in Birds of Prey, in which we learn that he's got some—he's got memory issues. Right? He's tremendously intelligent, uh, but he has a kind of like a, a, a faulty memory. He has a very difficult time storing long-term memories. And so there's another character uh, in the in the comics who he gets into a relationship with, uh, who basically kind of helps take care of him, right? Oracle, the former Batgirl Barbara Gordon, tries to kind of like mentor him over a run of about two years in in birds of prey trying to kind of like you know control that like violent side rather than like stopping him entirely from what he's doing to basically make him a better person and a better vigilante and because she knows that he's really good at what he's doing he's really smart he's really effective um and if she could control him he would be a useful team member for birds of prey basically that doesn't work Right, like basically, he is, you know, kind of like revealed to be ultimately uncontrollable, and she basically gives up on the idea of reforming him, and she cuts ties with him, and he has kind of like disappears into the background of that series. We don't really see him much again, and when Flashpoint comes along, he has been completely forgotten. Uh, Post Flashpoint, he appears in a grand total of one issue of Suicide Squad, in which we see uh, Amanda Waller testing a bunch of candidates to join the Suicide Squad, in that he fails the test. He, uh, in fact, uh, not knowing that it's a test, betrays the team, and Waller kicks him off the team. And we do not see him again. He fails to make the, the the Suicide Squad team and is returned to prison. I would say the odds of him dying are 50-50. If he doesn't die, then he will almost certainly be a guy who betrays the team. Yeah. Yeah, I think
0: uh, I think he will betray the team and then be sh- and then be killed towards the end. I'm gonna put Could him be? around like 90. Okay. Um. Yeah, Michael Rooker just seems good for it.
1: Right. Yeah, <laughs> Michael Rooker has died in a great many James Gunn movies, so like I said, it's gonna be 50-50. Almost only- all of them. Yeah, it, the only way he survives, I think, but it's I think it's pretty high way to survive is like you know he somehow like betrays the team and scoots off, right? And like may show up in another movie to die later or something. So
0: all right, well uh, we'll go from comedian to SNL star <laughs> with Blackguard,
1: Blackguard, Blackguard or Blaggard, depending on how you pronounce it, right. uh, is played by Pete Davidson from SNL, and I literally just read an interview with him last night. In which he says uh, that he is he selected he wanted to be in a superhero movie, uh, and uh, James Gunn called him and asked him to be in a movie. And he told all he told him about the character was that the character's real name was Dick Hurts. <laughs> and Pete Davidson said, "I'm in. That's I want to play Dick Hurts because, <laughs> like you know, like many SNL actors and that sort of thing, comic book writers are frequently eight years old and think that names like Dick Hurts are funny." Uh, in this case, it's Dan uh, Dan Jergens is responsible for this. Yeah, I make fun of it, but each time you say "Dick Hurts," I giggle a little bit. So. Right? Yeah, exactly. Somehow, it's still somehow the joke still flies. So, Dick Hurts uh, first appears in Booster Gold number one. The very he's the very first Booster Gold bad guy in February of 1986, and he is basically just an ordinary street thug. Uh, who is working for the criminal organization called the 1000 and the 1000 are the serious bad guys of the first you know year of booster gold comics um and so this guy's basically just a henchman of theirs um they give him like a power suit and an energy mace quote unquote and a shield basically and send him out to go fight booster gold who kicks his butt several times he appears in uh, maybe the four or five issues of booster gold just you know, mostly doing chores for the one thousand as a you know as as one of their uh, you know hired guns, and then kind of disappeared for many years. He was brought back in Suicide Squad, uh, uh, Volume Three, Number Four, in uh, February of two thousand and eight. Was a member of the team for four issues and then got his head cut off. <laughs> so he has appeared in a grand total, I think, ever of nine or ten comics total. Uh so given that and the fact that he is played by Pete Davidson who presumably was not going to stick around for the entire movie um I'm pretty sure there is about a 110% chance of Blackguard dying uh in this in this movie I think he probably does not make it out of the first 5 or 10 minutes
0: Yeah I think he's I think he's fucking dead. <laughs> <I> think he's <laughs> definitely dead Yeah it's it's a
1: not a character with a with a long and uh, story he has literally no personality right? Like, literally none. We don't know anything about him. He's just the guy that the 1000 paid to try to beat up Booster Gold. If he ever does show up again, he'll just be Pete Davidson probably. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, right. Well, you know, post-Flashpoint we haven't seen him yet, so who who knows? Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, To one of the other uh, you know, James Gunn uh, regulars, uh, Sean Gunn, um, uh, who, you know, famously does all of the body cap work for rocket raccoon yep. um he'll be doing more body cap work or this is it still guess, yeah, motion capture work Sorry. it's motion
1: capture yeah absolutely yeah, motion capture work for uh for weasel the weasel uh so you may have noticed in this stretch particularly in the in the late 80s of suicide squad there are a lot of firestorm bad guys in this in this series, and that's because John Ostrander was the writer for both of them, and so he didn't have to go to anybody else for permission to kill Firestorm villains, right? Whereas he kind of like had to negotiate with other editors and stuff to like kill anybody else off in the series. Um, he since he was the head guy writing Firestorm, Firestorm's entire rogues gallery was available for him to use. Um, Now, that's a pretty dumb road salary, right? Like, Firestorm does not have a great many terribly interesting bad guys. Um, But it was, you know, they they are a large part of the population of Suicide Squad just for ease of use, basically. Uh, The Weasel is one of Firestorm's bad guys. And once again, like Polka Dot Man, is hilariously outgunned, right? Or like uh, uh, Captain Boomerang. Um, His first appearance, he is a college professor Uh, Or a former college professor, I think, uh, who's been like kicked out of being a college professor for general incompetence, Uh, and so he puts on basically a furry costume uh, with, you know, like the you know, fur outfit with a fur mask and you know, teeth and fake claws, basically, Um, and then goes out and murders several college professors who were involved in him losing his job. This would not really be of particular interest to a superhero story, except that one of the professors that he targets, kind of by accident, is Martin Stein, who is one of the, at the time, one of the two people who turn into Firestorm. Uh, And so he tries to kill Martin Stein uh, while he's in the shower in a hotel room. (laughs) <laughs> uh this is funny because Martin Stein of course when this guy attacks him assumes that it's a supervillain of some sort but he doesn't have his glasses on uh cuz he's in the shower uh and so he transforms into Firestorm but since he has never before transformed into Firestorm when he was not wearing his glasses this time they discover that uh when he does that Firestorm becomes nearsighted <laughs> and so literally Firestorm can't be- Focus to like fight this guy because for the first time in his life, Ron Raymond can't see right. Right, and so the weasel, despite the fact that he's you know like ludicrously not able to actually fight Firestorm, does in fact successfully get away because Firestorm can't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they have to like sit down and figure out the mystery of like why is the you know who is this guy who is killing all of the uh, killing all the professors, uh, and they do in fact track him down uh, and uh, defeat him. And like I said, he's just a guy in a costume. He has no powers or anything particularly interesting. He then, off-screen, off-panel, basically, between stories somehow gets a big glow-up. And the next time we see him, he is, in fact, an actual monster, like a were-weasel or something, right? (laughs) Like, he's actually now a creature who, you know, is biting you and clawing you and is super fast and all of this stuff. There is zero explanation as to how this happened. Presumably, the writer just realized we owned the name, basically, and like made a completely different character because he, the old guy just put on a mask, right? He was literally just a furry. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And now he's like this hideous monster. Uh, and so he shows up once again in that, we've referred to it several times, the Suicide Squad Doom Patrol special issue, the special event issue. Um, in that story, he gets pissed at a thinker who is making fun of him and kills the thinker. Uh, in the middle of a mission, when they like really needed the Thinker for doing something, but like Weasel just lost his patience and killed him. Um, and so Rick Flag has to put on the Thinker's thinking cap, basically, in order to complete the mission. And when he does, what's left of the Thinker's personality in the thinking cap takes over Rick Flagg's mind and body and kills the Weasel. Right. So the two of them basically are dead. You know, but over the course of the, the 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 adventure, before the mission is even done. Um, I'm pretty sure James Gunn has read this issue, and it seems like he was a big fan of it. So I think the odds of the weasel dying in the course of this movie are about 98%.
0: Yeah, uh, same thing, uh, especially now that you brought all that up. I mean, also, he can just have his brother play something else in the sequel.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, he doesn't. <laughs> the weasel does appear post-Flashpoint. He is. Uh, he, he's You know, shown in the Forever Evil series, actually. Uh, in 2013, and is promptly killed again several issues into Forever Evil. Uh, Killer Frost kills him. Uh, so, you know, he's once again, he's 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 died two out of the three times he's appeared. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure the odds are are, are good. Uh, in the movie, uh, we've been told that James Gunn and Sean Gunn have talked about that he is basically now based on Bill the Cat from um, Bloom County, which is a pretty funny source for a supervillain. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up uh we're we're really making our way through the squad
1: here. We're, uh, we're scraping the bottom of the
0: barrel of this team, definitely. Yeah. Uh next up another character who technically has never appeared underneath I think the name that he's in in this one. Um because he's always Javelin Man in comics
1: I think. No, he's been um, he's been just the Javelin.
0: Has he? Okay. Yep. I always thought he was Javelin
1: Man for some reason. Yeah, no. no he's, um, he's I think he's been both, but I, Javelin I think is actually more more than half of them, so
0: okay all right uh but yeah the javelin
1: played by flula Laborg, um who is always hilarious yes once again i you know should be a fun cameo basically i think uh we don't know javelin's real name his first appearance is in green lantern number 173 of february 1984 and yes, in our theme of ridiculously underpowered villains fighting incredibly cosmically powered heroes, uh, Javelin fits right in because he is literally fighting Green Lantern with a bunch of spears that he throws at them. <laughs> <laughs> right? Now, some of these spears are, in fact, have you know, like gadgets attached to them. They're rocket powered, or they explode, or they do something. But still, he is throwing javelins at Green Lantern, and this goes about as well as you think it would. Um. So he is. Uh, we discover that he's a former member of the East German Olympic team. He was on the East German Olympic javelin throwing team before going into his life of crime. Uh, and the first time we see him. He is trying to steal one of the Ferris international experimental super jets that you know that the Ferris aircraft builds. Um, and Green Lantern, with minimal effort, kicks the snot out of him, despite the fact that uh, Javelin has prepared himself with several yellow javelins because this is a time when Green Lantern still had the like my powers don't work on yellow you know, problem. Uh, so he, like, puts up his Green Lantern shields, right, like, in front of him, and Javelin chucks a yellow, you know, uh, spear at him, and, you know, almost kills him, right? And then Green Lantern's like, I should probably start paying attention. That was close, you know? <laughs> so, like Polka Dot Man, he becomes kind of representative of a certain kind of, like, dumbass bad guy, uh, you know, to to appear. He appears over and over again. He's in uh, several of the Ostrander uh, suicide squads, and somehow manages to survive all the way through them. Um, but then he gets killed in The War of the Gods, uh, and then shows up again in Deadshot's solo comic, Deadshot number four, with no explanation as to how he's still alive, because we just saw him die from Wonder Woman. Um, and he dies again in Deadshot number four. He then appears in the Checkmate series, Checkmate number seven, with no explanation of how he survived Deadshot, and gets killed again. So he literally shows up for one issue three consecutive times and gets killed in that same story three consecutive times. He shows up a fourth time with no explanation as to how he's still alive from Checkmate uh, in Final Justice, but he manages to live all the way through the issue. Supergirl punches him in the face, but he does not in fact actually die. And that is his final appearance. So as far as I know, he is still alive in DC continuity, despite the fact that he has died in three out of his five actual comic book appearances. I would say the likelihood of him dying in this movie is
0: 99.9%. I'm going to say a little bit lower, uh, just because I, <laughs> I think one out of the three characters, the the last three characters here we're going to talk about, I'm going to think one of them probably doesn't die. Um, and so I'm going to say like 70. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I think we'll definitely get baked out on whichever one of them doesn't die.
1: We um, need to like write this down. We need to like have this on the, you know, on, on the on the site on the, you know, on the discord or something. We need to put this up of, of, after of, of we're what are we'll, we'll go back and, and go back discord and actually out. list them, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So because um, this needs to be kept for posterity here to see which of us is right.
0: Absolutely. All right, so we have two two suicide squad members left before we get to the uh, you know, supporting I guess they're all uh, right. the, the non-suicide squad members of the cast. Right. Um, and I think next we should talk about Mong-
1: Mongal. Mongal. Yeah. Right. Mongal, played by Mailing Yang. Um, Mongal is, in fact, as you might guess from the name, the daughter of the much better supervillain Mongul, uh, who is one of Superman's bad guys dating back to 1980. Uh, he first appears in DC Comics Presents number 27, which came out in November of 1980. And he is the alien, uh, you know, would-be tyrant who is the uh, the, the the emperor of war worlds, and you know travels around the universe capturing people to fight in his gladiator pits. And he is, in every way, a uh, you know a, a convincing match for Superman. Um, he is, in fact, the, if you you might only be familiar with him from the famous Alan Moore written Superman story for the Man Who Has Everything. He's the bad guy who puts the Black Mercy on Superman in the first place, and then fights Wonder Woman through the rest of the uh, rest of the story. Um, he is a tremendous bad guy. Mongul is great fun uh, as a villain. There is a set of stories that took place in uh, the Showcase nineteen ninety five series uh, in September ninety five issue number eight. In which we learn that Mongol has two kids, uh, Mongul II, his son, uh, who has in fact you know inherited his name, and his sister Mangal. I have no explanation for why that's her name, just I think for the gag, basically. Um, she shows up in several Superman stories. Uh, the two of them are basically want to, you know, avenge. This is a stretch when the, you know, dad, Mongul, I think, was believed to be dead. And they are trying to, like, avenge themselves on Superman for for, for dad's death. It's clear that her brother, that Mongul II, is way more into this. Right? Like, he is absolutely 100% going to dedicate the rest of his life to, you know, killing Superman. And she's like, you know, yeah, kill Superman. I get that. But, you know, there's a lot of other things to to do. We should be, you know, ruling the galaxy, right? Like, don't we have other things to do than just spend all our time chasing this guy around? Um, She briefly becomes Queen of Almorak during a time that Maxima is not there, right? She actually has other plans of, like, ways to get power and be a villain. Um, In Green Lantern, volume four, number eight, uh, March 2006, her her brother kills her, apparently, you know, for among other reasons, just kind of like not being sufficiently committed to killing DC superheroes. (laughs) Uh, And so she has not appeared since then. She has not returned post Flashpoint or anything. Um, I have no idea what she is doing in this movie. She is ridiculously more powerful if she's anything like the character in the comics uh, than pretty much anybody else in this story. She would be—it's she's kind of like the Enchantress from the first movie, right? She is just like completely—you know—punches at a way higher weight class uh, than anybody else in the cast of this movie. So I presume they are either going to nerf her in the movie uh, and just make her a you know ridiculous character, or. She will be, in fact, cosmically powerful and be kind of like related to the actual plot itself, because this is once again a character who plausibly goes toe to toe with Superman, right? So I'm going to say, once again, I'm going to say uh, she's got a very high chance of dying, but when she dies, she will either be killed off very early because she's been nerfed and they're just making a comedy thing out of her or more likely she's actually related to the plot and she dies in like the final battle. So I think it's probably an 80% chance she dies, but it probably doesn't happen until the end.
0: Yeah. I'm guessing that they do nerf her a bit because she's someone who punches Superman and there's no one else even close. I yeah. guess The closest person is like King shark, I
1: guess, but right, like, yeah, seriously, you look out. at the rest of this lineup and there's like nobody here in this, you know? Yeah. That's anywhere Um, close to this power level, so. And I'm going to say, like,
0: probably, like, 50% chance that she dies, because I could see them having her get knocked out, because they, you know, probably want to bring some of these people back. Since we know know
1: the primary menace is an alien, I'm betting she is going to be related to that in some way.
0: Fair point. Actually, you know, you convince me, 90. Uh, (laughs) I'm also looking at a picture of her, and she has the worst costume. Yeah. Uh, She just does not look... Like they all are kind of comic booky, which is good, but hers looks off, right? Um, yeah. Ugh. Okay, and the last one, our um, last guy, the detachable kid, um, <laughs> or you know, I think known arms fall off boy, right? Um, um probably the weirdest character on this. Probably yeah, weirder than Mongol. I, I, I
1: would say absolutely yeah. So yeah. played once again by somebody from the you know James Gunn repertory, you know acting players basically. Nathan Fillion is going to play a character called TDK. Is listed in the in the cast apparently as the detachable kid. Uh, is based on a character who in the comics has gone under two different names. Uh, his first and kind of most famous one is as Arm Fall Off Boy. Uh, and his when they tried to make him somewhat more serious in his returns, he was called Splitter. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to do with this one, but I'm I have a I have a bet with it. Um, the original Arm Fall Off Boy uh, first appears in December 1989 in Secret Origins Volume Two, Number 46, the issue of Secret Origins dedicated to the story of the Legion of Superheroes. And it is a tradition, if you are not a fan of the Legion of Superheroes, that every so often they have a tryout day in which young superheroes come, young potential superheroes come, and show off their powers and uh, try to you know, become members of the Legion. And there is an entire subset of Legion fandom, of Legion characters, who are the ridiculous characters who have failed tryouts. Right, and many of them have gone on to like continue to appear in the comic. There's an entire team called the Legion of Substitute Heroes, which is made up of nothing but superheroes with ridiculous, dumb superpowers, who somehow have managed to like work together and occasionally save the day, but mostly are there for comic relief. And so, in this retelling, this modern retelling of the Legion's uh, history, one of the guys who shows up. To be a ridiculous character at Legion Tryout Day is Arm Fall Off Boy. And Arm Fall Off Boy's power is that he can take his arm off. It literally detaches at the shoulder. Uh, and he like grabs it by his uh, his other wrist, right? Like he takes his left arm in his right wrist and then just pulls it off with a hilarious little pop sound effect, you know, and then waves it around like a club. And <laughs> threatens to beat up the rest of the Legion with it as showing that you know, like what a mighty hero that this makes him. And he is, of course, comically rejected and doesn't appear again. Uh, this was supposed to just be a joke, right? It's literally like a three-panel appearance. He somehow, once again, kind of like caught the, you know, became flavor of the week for a little bit in people who like to make fun of comics. He appears several times in like internet lists of the stupidest superheroes ever created. And you have to kind of point out, hey, he never actually got to do anything super. And he was supposed to be a joke from the start, right? It's not like we didn't know that. Um, But he kind of like went into history. When the Legion got rebooted in the 90s, uh, he reappeared uh, as a character now called Splitter. And he appears in Legionnaires number 43, December 1996. And he's still ridiculous, but he's at least kind of more powerful now because now all of his limbs come off. And he can still kind of like mentally control them. So he's got a leg that's flying off over here, and another leg that's flying off over here, and an arm here, and his head here, and everything. And they can all do different things at once. So it's stupid, but you can actually almost kind of see like situations where that would be useful. Uh, There is an entire version of Captain Marvel, uh, if you go back to our Captain Marvel episode, who had the same powers, right? Like, so this is, you know, this is a, a character that could exist. Um,. In the modern day, in just last year, May 2020, in Jimmy Olsen's comic, V2, uh, number, f- uh, number nine, we meet not only arm fall off boy, but his entire family, all of whom have similar powers. Uh, we meet uh, head fall off mom, uh, <laughs> legs fall apart in segments dad, uh, fingers fall off gal, who is his sister. Uh, his grandmother uh, But fall off Gima Deb Deb, and uh, and then butt fall off Gima Deb Deb's uh, step grandfather Glenn, who apparently doesn't have any powers, uh, and all of these people team up with Jimmy Olsen to like fight crime in yet another ridiculous uh, uh, appearance. Um, so once again, he's you know he's been a popular joke now in comics for you know uh, almost thirty years. Um, so. Nathan Fillion, of course, is playing him. There's no way Nathan Fillion is in this entire movie. He has clearly shown up just for a cameo, and once again, I believe his likelihood of dying is well over a hundred percent. No doubt, in some you know, like ridiculous sequence in which we get to see him use the ridiculous powers for two minutes and then get shot or something, right? Like something terrible will no doubt happen to him.
0: Okay, so I have a theory. Okay. That uh, like I said, I think one of these people is going to live these last three that we've talked about. Okay, um, and because they could blow up most of Nathan Fillion and then keep him as like a head in a box, um, I think <laughs> okay. that's what we're going to say. I think we're okay. going to see. Okay, off, You know, TDK. He's, he's not arms fall off boy. He's he's all detachable right um i think we're gonna see most of his body get obliterated but then them like either find his head or like just take his head with them or something like that and then uh goes and up so, periodically through the rest of the movie yeah um and so I'm right. that, like 20 percent to die because i i think it's too too funny and like then he could be uh you know uh comic relief that doesn't have to actually do anything or even be on screen
1: like, I don't think we're going to do that because only, and here's here's my reason why we're not actually going to like keep him around for any length of time, even if we do that joke, mm-hmm. is because we already have the head-in-a-box character from the new Guardians. Fair point. There is right. the um oh. oh, what is that? Uh, um, d- what's the, 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 it's right? the Miley Cyrus did the voice yeah. for uh um, whatever the name of it was. It's the, it's the computer from the new Guardians uh, yeah, guy, I, whatever I, his name I, was.
0: I thought I figured he was planning this out when he realized he wasn't going to be able to do the Ravagers thing in his next movie. So I thought that this might be like a replacement for that. Well, maybe I don't know. That was my kind of like.
1: I still, yeah, it. I'm not seeing them paying Nathan Villian's rate for <laughs> this joke, right? Like I'd, I'd, I'm just saying, awesome. I'm, I'm I'm kind of like I'm 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 betting oh. on DC's fundamental cheapness here.
0: Fair. And Warner, Warner Brothers'
1: fundamental cheapness.
0: I'll stick with my twenty percent though, just so that we're different. All right. Than us in the selections. Okay, fair. Um, because so I feel like one of these comic relief characters will
1: live all the way through. Yeah. Oh, I think well, Polka Dot Man, I think will be the only one. I'm I'm expecting the other dumb characters to pretty much go across the board. So.
0: Fair point. Yeah, fair. All right. And then so- he'll and then
1: and then you'll get that great David Desmashian, you know, like. Thousand yard stare, right? Like, (laughs) like, like he's even more, you know, psychologically fucked up by like having lived through this horrible situation. So, (laughs) when everybody around him died.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, no, that'll be funny. (laughs) Um, all right, so coming towards the end here.
1: Oh yeah, so that's the lineup of the Suicide Squad, as far as we know in the movie. Uh, We know that there are a couple of actors who are playing characters who have not been identified yet right like so that they, that don't have a name on them so there there may still be additional surprises uh to show up uh you know in this story but uh, that that's the the roster of the team uh as all of the promotional material to this point have shown so yeah yeah but um
0: we do still have uh we just have the bad guy of, uh yeah the oh well, yeah the uh who showed up who made a a big impact in that last trailer, which is absolutely,
1: Which is Starro, absolutely. Starro is is quite literally the very first Justice League bad guy. He appears in the first ever Justice League story, which appears in Brave and the Bold. They don't even have their own comic yet. It's in Brave and the Bold number 28, uh, which appears in March of 1960. Starro is, in fact, a gigantic alien starfish from outer space. Uh, and uh, he has come to Earth to, you know, conquer the Earth, and uh, the Justice League have to fight him off in their first story. Um, he actually, in the first story, uh, creates several giant bodies for himself so that, like, the team can split up and, you know, have to fight him in several different locations. Um, but then they, you know, come together and form a, you know, even more gigantic, dangerous Starro. Uh, in his first appearance, we don't actually have the the mind control. Um, starfish that actually waits for his second appearance Um, and uh, in the end he is in fact defeated not by the Justice League but by their teen sidekick Snapper Carr who knows that you can get starfish off the side of a sailboat using lime and so he uh, spreads like a lime solution and you know like lures uh, Starro into like entering it and that's actually what beats him and the justice league is so impressed that this dumb kid, you know, was able to succeed where their vast ridiculous powers were not able to that they make uh snappercar like an honorary member of the team and he becomes like the rick jones basically character for the justice league for the next several years. Uh Starro reappears over and over again because he's a delight. He's a giant starfish that's just awesome to start out with. Furthermore, very quickly, we get to see his you know his cool other power, which is that he creates tiny little starfish sized starfish, right, and puts them on people's faces, uh just kind of like, you know, splat directly over the center of their face like a face hugger from alien. And once again, keep in mind, this predates alien by like fifteen years. um. But like they attach themselves to the skull of like the person and then mind control them. So you have lots of characters who are running around, uh, committing crimes and being evil, and you know generally being mind controlled by the bad guy with starfish on their faces. This looks great. This is a fabulous look. Starro is one of the wonderful, ridiculous villains. He's appeared countless times. I went to actually try to look up the number of times. Uh, that he had actually appeared in comics. And the list was so big that I just realized I did not have time to count them all by hand. Um, It's just he has appeared over and over again. He's one of DC's genuinely, I think, greatest, most wonderfully ridiculous bad guys. And when I saw him in the trailer, I admit, I I squeed. I actually did. In fact, I was so excited that that was, like, the bad guy that they had chosen. It's a giant kaiju starfish with, like, mind control powers. And it
0: looks like... um... Taika Waititi is probably voicing him.
1: did seem so, uh, yes. He is one of the mysterious enough. people that we don't know who he's playing, so yes.
0: Yeah, there's like... I just I just pulled up the i There's like three people who... I don't know who the other three are, um... But, uh... Taika Waititi does not have a role as of yet. So right. That would seem... So, yeah,
1: playing, playing the voice of Starro, that would be fabulous. Um... So likelihood of surviving. I hope he makes it off because I would love to see him again. But I think the odds are very high that he gets blown up in the final scene. So. Oh
0: yeah. Uh, Well. uh, Yeah, but he only only needs one of his little starfish guys to
1: to exactly. That's that's, yeah. Yeah. We blow up the big one, and then we reveal in the final you know post credit scene or whatever that like there's one has survived somewhere. Yeah, I'm gonna. that's, That's how. That's in fact, I I agree with you there. That's my prediction of how it will end. Yeah, big, so big that Starro we, dies, but there's a little one left behind.
0: Yeah, so by our rules, if he gets revealed to still be alive in this film, then he doesn't. Then we don't count it,
1: and it does not count, count as a death, right? So, yeah, yeah.
0: I'm gonna say like I'm gonna say sixty percent that he dies and we don't see it, and they'll leave it for next movie. Okay. that um, he does, you know, die. That's
1: no, like it's cool. totally gonna be a post-credit scene. Some government <laughs> agent or whatever will be like pick one up on the beach or something. Uh, yeah. That right, yeah. Or somebody, somebody will walk into Waller's office and like leave it in a in a case on the desk or something. Yeah, yeah, fair.
0: All right, uh, the last place, and uh, I guess we can, I guess, no real reason to say whether or not this one um survives or does not survive since it's uh, land. Right. Yeah. Um, but well, it, it's going to get
1: stomped flat by kaiju. Uh, but yeah, yeah. yeah. You no, know,
0: yeah, it dies, hundred <laughs> um, percent, <laughs> stomped <laughs> flat by kaiju. Um. So tell us a little bit about Corto Maltese.
1: Quarto Maltese is the name of the country that uh, apparently uh, uh, Staro is going to be invading, that our heroes are sent in to deal with. And several of the other non- uh you know supervillain cast members including uh Alice Braga um are playing characters from this country who are you know like part of the revolution that's happening there or something you know um whatever the plot related to it is corto maltese uh is uh, appeared in the DC universe um it is a small island nation off the south african uh, south american coast and it first appears in dark knight number 2 the original frank miller dark knight uh, series for this Court uh, Martial.ese appears in that comic. They are having a revolution in issue number two, and it is revealed that Superman is secretly working for the government, as represented by Ronald Reagan. Uh, you know, in the comic, um, and has sent Superman to go deal with this revolution. Um, and when the revolution kind of like is getting out of hand, when Superman is in the process of kind of like quelling it, the Russians who have the Soviets who have in fact been, you know, supporting this revolution, uh, chuck a nuke at him. And, uh, this, the nuke actually does go, Superman successfully keeps the nuke from landing on Corto Maltese, but it does in fact go off and briefly takes Superman out of the story, right? Like he actually gets, you know, uh, um you know the uh, uh, flattened basically by this nuke uh, the nuke then uh, you know kind of like disrupts Technology. The EM pulse takes out all the electricity on the East Coast, uh, the Eastern seaboard, and Gotham City in particular falls into complete anarchy, which is where Batman, uh, you know, uh, kind of like comes back publicly um, with his new, you know, gang, basically, and establishes, you know, like uh, uh, rule uh, in the city. You know, in the in the face of this like you know, uh, rioting and chaos and uh, just kind of like mass rampage across the city, which leads, of course, to Batman and Superman's climactic fight in issue four. So that country, like I said, was created fictionally by Frank Miller, um, and the next time it appears is not actually in a comic, but it's in the Batman movie, the first Michael Keaton Batman movie. We meet Vicky Vale. Uh, played by Kim Basinger, who is, in fact, a famous photographer. And we get to see the pictures that she has done for Life magazine from the revolution that is happening in Corto Maltese. Right, like it's literally, it's on the cover of the magazine. You know, when they're uh, flipping through her her, uh, her her pictures, and when Jack Nicholson as the Joker is like reading through the magazine and sees her pictures and sees the pictures of like the war dead in Co- Corto Maltese, and he's like, "Oh, now I have to meet her because she can tell, she can you know make a picture like that." Right, that's art. So it was a nice kind of you know reference, a little tip of the hat to Frank Miller at a time. I mean, the Batman movie only came out what three years after Dark Knight, so it was still. Uh, very well known. Corto Maltese has continued to show up in the comics and the TV shows uh, over and over again as this fictional nation, which is pretty much always having a revolution for, you know, 35 straight years now. It's in Smallville. It's in the Arrow shows. Uh, you know, it's appeared multiple times. The re- the actual name, one of the reasons it's as popular a reference as it is, and this is, you may not know this part, uh, is that Frank Miller named Corto Maltese after a famous Italian comic pulp character. Uh, Corto Maltese is the name of an Italian pulp hero who appeared in a series of comics starting in the 60s by an artist named Hugo Pratt. And they're all in Italian language. You can get American reprints of them. But it is basically a early 20th century pulp adventure series Uh, Hugo Pratt is an astonishingly good artist, and Frank Miller is an enormous fan of him, and so he has used the name Corto Maltese in multiple things that he's done as a reference and kind of like tribute to one of his own personal favorite comics. Uh, If you have never seen a Corto Maltese comic or or any other work by Hugo Pratt, I strongly recommend it. He is an outstanding storyteller.
0: Right. Uh, That all sounds really cool.
1: (laughs) So and, like I can really, say, yeah, for, so for our percentage, I think Corto Maltese, the country, is going to get stomped flat as it usually does in the comics. So right. there will be a lot of dead people in Corto Maltese before the movie's over. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> There's
0: one character who we didn't mention uh, who has been announced, which was uh, Soulsiria. Right. Solseria
1: uh, is played by Alice Braga. She is, when, when you look her up, she is, in fact, one of the revolutionaries in Corto right. Maltese. Yeah. Right. So she's um, not a supervillain. She's not part of the suicide squad or anything. She's going to be one of the locals dealing with, you know, uh, Starro arriving in her country. So Right.
0: there are some theories about who she is, but we figure we'll touch on those when we do our, you know, follow up to the movie episode. Right. Yeah. Um, after we've seen it, um, so that we can, yeah. You know, not just pull randomly of says to, to what we think she might be.
1: Right. Exactly. Um,
0: so that being said we'll make sure to get up our uh, our our uh, death predictions uh, on our discord where if you're not already if you haven't already joined us you should
1: absolutely um, it's called explain uh, this comics guys and uh, there's a link to it uh, in our Facebook page as well so
0: and also on our Patreon right so thank you all so much for listening I've been Steve Tasker and
1: I'm Darren Watts have a good night thanks for coming
0: This week, the Comics Guys explain The Suicide Squad, Part 2.